Let's stand up. Lift your hands. Aren't you thankful for our worship team? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Just pray your blessing upon us uh, today. I ask that the Holy Spirit would anoint me, anoint my lips, help me to deliver the word. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to see great things. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your light flow through me today and through all of us. Amen. You be seated. We're going to continue. Uh, I've got to get the right set of notes, so that's from first service. Good message, first service, though. Well, I thought it was. Um, so let's start. We're looking at Elijah and going to continue along that line. Let's do um, 1 Kings 19 as kind of our text here. Uh, verse 1. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. It says, And Ahab told... I'm sorry, 18... I even told Julie on the way, I said, I've got 19 in the notes, but I want to start in 18. And what did I do? First Kings 18, verse 1, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And so it was while Jezebel <laughs> massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. So I just want to introduce uh, the characters who are going to be talking about Elijah, Ahab, and everybody's favorite woman in the Bible. Jezebel. Now, just to kind of review, I want to give you a couple other scriptures. Uh, the first one comes from 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse 3, it says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. So Paul talks about the outward man and the inward man. Peter talks about don't let your adorning be outward of just hair and and wearing of jewelry, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. So you have an inner person and an outer person, right? You have the hidden person of the heart. So here's how we're doing this. So Elijah, if you go back to the first teaching that I did, if you heard it, those of you that didn't have the benefit, let me lay it out for you. The way we're looking at this is not the historical story, but rather a revelation of who you are. (laughs) A revelation of who you are. So each part represents something about ourselves. So the first thing we see is the hidden man of the heart, the inward person, and the outer person. So those are two separate entities in the story. So Elijah, the name Elijah, comes from two different names that are translated as God. You have El, or Elohim, and you have Yah, which comes from Yahweh. So they take the two primary names of God, El and Yah, and put them together, and you get Eli-Yah, or Elijah, right? So, and he is the prophet of God, right? Whatever he says is what's going to come to pass. And so, therefore, Elijah, we've been saying, represents your higher self, or what the Bible describes in Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3, the part of you that is already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that has already received resurrection life, that has already been raised up, that has already been glorified, fully redeemed, totally pure and holy, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. (laughs) Right? So that is also the hidden man of the heart or the inward man that is renewed day by day. It's not something other than you. 
It is the divine DNA, if you will, that you carry as a child of God. It's the spark of God, the breath of God, the image of God, the mirror of God that God put inside you. And it's interesting because Elijah is introduced as a Tishbite. Does anybody remember what a Tishbite is? A Tishbite is a dweller or one who sits and dwells upon a throne. So it represents that higher self. Right? That's also you. So you have a divine part, you have a godly part, you have a enthroned part. You got it? Now Ahab represents the lower you or the outer you. The you that walks around in this body and experiences this life. That's what Ahab represents. And Elijah, so here's the key. So Elijah presents himself to Ahab. To give Ahab a chance to align in harmony with Elijah. So that the inner man and the outer man harmonize, synchronize, or match. Or the outer person becomes the vehicle through which the higher self finds expression. Now, in between, (laughs) when... Elijah first shows himself to Ahab and this part that we just read where Jezebel is introduced into the story, you have a widow that Elijah goes and works with. The widow, the the name widow there means to be desolate or without a king. So here again, the widow or the feminine principle represents the you that walks around and experiences the earth and has trouble and tribulation and messes up and screws everybody else up and whatever else. Right? That's the widow. And the widow doesn't have a king. It's desolate or is without a king. And so Elijah or the king represents that higher self. So again, what you see repeated again is this idea of the higher self in Christ presenting itself to the lower self in order for there to be harmonization, and then abundance comes, oil comes, miracles come, fruitfulness comes, all that stuff comes out of the story. Okay, I caught you up to speed, right? <laughs> Alright, now with all that in mind, come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll kind of see this again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 9, Paul says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So here's the point. Ahab, which is your lower self. Got it? The widow, which is your lower self, receives consciousness, awareness, information, and makes decisions from the external world in. In through the eye gate, in through the ear gate and into the heart. Outwardly oriented. Right? Paul is saying the things that God has prepared for you don't come to you that way. They don't come to you externally. So here's our problem. We have jettisoned God outside of our being. We've kicked Him out. It was a process. The early church, the hope of the early church was Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul said the Word of God was. Not the Bible. Christ in you. But we put Him into the Eucharist. And if you were Catholic, you held to an ancient tradition of bowing down to the Eucharist because the real presence of Christ was in the Eucharist. And we want to we wanna get all over the Catholics because they're of their idolatry, but we, we sent him even further out. We said, no, he's not in the Eucharist. He's not even present here. He's out in outer space someplace where his body floated up. And... Right? So we've, we've made God, we've made divinity something other than ourselves. And don't know that we have a higher self. You, you won't hear this taught in other churches. You just won't. I'm not trying to be arrogant or any... I'm just saying it's just the truth. You're going to be taught you're a worm. God's out there. He has to be appeased. You're going to be... You're a worm. You're... (laughs) 
And, 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 and the things that God has prepared for you come from the outside in. You pray to a God other than yourself. You, you pray to a God that's alien and foreign out there. And you try to convince Him to do something good for you. And then it shows up where I can see it and ear can hear it. And then it's translating your consciousness to say, Oh, God answered my prayer. That's outward orientation. And Paul says the things that God has prepared for you don't come that way. Right there in the book. (laughs) But God, so how do they come? God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him, or the higher self. Got it? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Not try to talk God into giving us something, but come into a consciousness of the things that He has already freely given us. For our glory, not for His. I'm just reading the book. Don't get upset at me. I'm not talking to you, but... Now watch this. But the natural man, or Ahab, or the widow, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual, Elijah, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? He, answer, he asks the question, then answers it. Who has not known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? You. Because you have the mind of Christ. Uh, Blasphemy. It's in the Bible. So here's the point. Everything God has ever prepared or that will ever be is existing in the consciousness of God as a thought, as an idea, or as an image. It has no tangible substance, but it has substance in the realm of consciousness, in the realm of idea, in the realm of archetype and image and imagination. And so there are things there that God has prepared for those who love Him for your glory, but you have to connect with them consciously. You have to know them. And how do I know them? Because it's revealed within by the Spirit. So it only comes from a life, cultivating a life of meditation and listening to God. We spend way too much time talking to God and not near enough time listening to God. We talk to God out of our own agendas trying to get Him to do something that we want Him to do rather than exploring by the Spirit in the realm of consciousness in deep meditation and prayer the things that He has already prepared for those who love Him. And then bringing them to pass through words and actions because we're able to anticipate the future before it arrives... In other words, you have to receive the thing that only exists as an idea as yours and ground it upon this earth and make it tangible. Or let's do it this way. The Elijah in you has to know it's not going to rain for three years. Or the Elijah in you has to know when it's time for the abundance of rain to come. (laughs) And then has to announce to the Ahab in you This is how it shall be, according to my word, and then the Ahab inside you, which is the king on the earth, which has the crown, which has the authority to manifest it in the earth, has to come into alignment with that word and say, so shall it be. Do you get it? Let's look at Psalm 8. Because there are, here's the thing, everything exists in consciousness, everything exists in consciousness, and is manifested when someone grabs hold of it and brings it into the earth. Everything that exists, that chair existed as an idea in someone's mind before they brought it to pass. The songs that we sang existed in someone's heart as a melody that no one else had ever heard. 
in the realm of consciousness until they wrote it and played it and gave it to you and now you can experience it. Everything comes out of the realm of thought and idea and consciousness. Everything. All right. You wouldn't even be here if there wasn't some spark inside somebody that said, let's get naked. All right. All right. It's just the truth. <laughs> Psalm 8. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you were listening. I guess some of you were. Someone, somebody woke up and said, what? <laughs> Psalm 8, verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now watch this. Remember, remember, God has prepared things for your glory. And seated your higher self where? In the heavens. So watch this. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now watch this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind? Not just man. Plural in the original language. Humanity. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And then he answers the question. You have made them a little lower than the angels. Terrible translation. The word there is Elohim, which is the word for God. You've made them a little lower than God. You crowned them with glory and honor, and you made them ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. Every human, all right, so, 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 let's back up. There's legitimate uses of faith to grab hold of ideas and things that have existence only in the mind of God and bring them through alignment into manifestation. Call it the law of attraction, call it faith, call it whatever you want to call it, call it magic, I don't care. It all operates on the same principles. And bringing that into physical manifestation. There are legitimate uses of that and illegitimate uses of that. We're going to look at that today. The legitimate use of it is represented by a throne and a crown. Now here's the thing. In other words, you've got to have the authority. That's why Ahab was a king. And as a human being, here's what we're being told. As a human being that lives on this earth... God has crowned you with glory and honor, meaning He'll honor your decisions and has crowned you with glory, or given you, every human being, the right, the privilege, and the authority to manifest those things that only exist in the realm of consciousness or the realm of the spirit or the realm of thought and idea, however you want to understand it. Every human being. Now, I hate it when the Bible gets in the way of my theology. Right? Because I was taught, because I was brought up in Western Christianity, influenced by Augustine of Hippo, that every human being was born rotten to the core. I've heard him, I've heard him say it. You, you, young people, I want to tell you, you are a dirty, rotten sinner, rotten to the core, headed straight for hell without Jesus Christ. And we're Bible-believing Christians. Well then, just rip that page out of your Bible. He didn't say, what is Israel that you are mindful of Him? He didn't say, what is the believers that you're mindful of Him? He certainly didn't say, what are the Christians that have been born again and got out of that corruption that you're mindful of them? No. He says, what is humanity? What is humankind? What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Or, or humanity that you visit them? You made them a little lower than Elohim and you crowned them. So every human being has a crown of glory. Every human being has a crown of glory. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being has the divine spark within them. Every human being at their essence 
existence is, is, is good and the image of God and divine and not corrupt to the core and not headed to an eternity without Christ, but does need to be redeemed in order to be able to reveal and manifest the reality of who we have, of who we are as sons and daughters of God, as the image bearers of God in all creation, as those that share the physical nature with the animals and the spiritual nature with the angels coming together in one being. Therefore, the bridge and the gateway and the only bridge and the only gateway that we know of in the universe between between thought and reality, between spirit and matter, between consciousness and idea and manifestation. All right. Now, now, so if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, don't come back and tell me you're a Bible-believing Christian because you're not. You believe something else. All right. Yes, but David said he was born in sin. Yeah, after he got found out and was dealing with his own guilt and his waxing poetic. And he said, I was conceived in sin. You know what? Did you ever, th- oh, yeah, 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 I better not do that. Did you ever think about the fact that David wasn't invited to be anointed as king? Maybe there was a question of his legitimacy. All right. And we take, because he said, I was born in sin. We say, oh, that applies to every human being. And then we throw out this other stuff. All right, I'm, I'm done. Get off my soapbox. Now Jezebel, so, so we introduced Jezebel in this story. So Jezebel is married to Ahab. It's his wife. But remember, the names have a significant meaning. So Jezebel has a complex name meaning. And it's a combination of several root words in the Hebrew. One of those root words is desire. Everybody just say desire. But ultimately, most scholars tell us the name means to be without cohabitation. It means to be totally independent. To be unhusbanded. Unhusbanded. Widowed. Single. Or it can also mean, where is the prince? Without cohabitation. Desire without cohabitation. Desire that is unhusbanded. And desire that asks the question, where is the prince? So Jezebel represents that which wants to divide Ahab from Elijah. That wants to draw away this lower self into desires that have no covering or recognition or authority with the higher self. That which comes from beneath, rather than that which comes from above. Desire that's drawn away. Okay, so, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered in the heart of man those things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Jezebel then tempts you with the things that God has not prepared for those who love Him, or tries to remove your crown of glory, if you will, to get you to bring something into manifestation that is illegitimate and outside of the will of God, who is perfect, divine, unconditional love for you. It's the manifestation of everything that is, that's not for your highest good. It's the manifestation of everything that is destructive in your life. So here's Ahab torn between Elijah, Eliyah, the higher self, and Jezebel, that which wants to, it's, it's, it's the battle between what Paul called the carnal mind and the spiritual mind. 
So therefore Jezebel, in principle, is the author of every murder. Is the author of every harmful, hurtful thing that came out of jealousy. Is the author of every harmful, hurtful thing that ever came out of greed. Therefore, you will see all of these characteristics played out when you read the story in the person of Jezebel. You guys are looking at me. (laughs) It's a picture of desire that's born by the lower self completely independently of the higher self. It's the independent function of the carnal mind. It's using consciousness to bring forth desires that are illegitimate or using power and authority without the legitimacy of the crown and the higher self. And therefore, it's completely out of alignment with God. It's bringing forth that which is other than the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. <laughs> See it? Now, Jezebel was also a witch, we're told. She practiced witchcraft. Your Bible says, we'll get to it later, but most people know about Jezebel because she tries to kill Elijah. Right? She says, I'm going to kill Elijah. And your Bible says that Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah that she was going to kill him. But in the original language, it's angel. So she sends a spiritual being. She puts a curse on him and a spiritual entity comes after him. In other words, it's a picture of, of total witchcraft. Now, <laughs> I want to talk about something here. That I want to talk about, last, last time we talked about just bringing forth miracles, I want to talk about the fact that you have a prophet inside you, your higher self, Elijah, that's there to guide you that has to contend with Jezebel who wants to kill the prophet. But here's the thing you have to understand. Your truest friend, your truest companion, your highest source of knowledge and guidance comes from within your own heart, the hidden man of your heart, the inner person. It doesn't come from without, it comes from within. It's the most trustworthy source. Now, how do we or how have we as, and everybody in here comes from a different background. I come from a charismatic Christian background. We use prophecy a lot. I mean, finding guidance, finding the will of God, finding those things that God has prepared was really, really important to us. And we we did all kinds of stuff, right? Now, if I were to tell you that that's practicing, now listen very closely to what I'm about to say. If I were to tell you that is practicing divination, you would think I was condemning it. Yeah, because we equate divination with witchcraft. And we say the Bible forbids it. Right? And by divination, we usually think that means there's some instrument involved, like stones or lots or cards or something like that. In fact, if I were to ask you, what, what, uh, what is divination? Most of you would bring up things like tarot cards, you'd bring up maybe oracle cards, uh, runes, whatever, and, and we're told stay away from all that stuff, right? All that stuff is demonic. But in fact, the word divination simply means to uh, discover what is in the mind of God. To divine the will of God. To discover what is the will of God. Now I've done this with Christian groups. I ask you, okay, so if we, if we define divination, not as witchcraft, but as the practice of discovering what is in the mind of God and what He has prepared for those who love Him, then we have to come to the grips with the fact that there are legitimate means of divination or exploring what is in the mind of God and illegitimate means of divination or discovering what is in the mind of God. And then if I were to ask you, give me some 
of the illegitimate ways, again, we'd be back to cards, stones, pendulums. Those are all illegit, right? Okay, so let's come up with what are some legitimate ways of knowing what's in the mind of God. Meditation, praying, worshiping, the Bible, thank you. Well, we're, we're talking about trying to find what's in the mind of God. So it's about guidance, not about miracles or healings. But prophecy, someone else giving us a word, right? Come on, gang. I mean, who hasn't gone to a meeting and gotten a word and thought, oh, glory to God? Dreams and visions. Here's the interesting thing. If I were to hold up these lists, everything on the illegitimate list is illegitimate because it has an external object. Cards, stones, pendulums. Everything that's legitimate is completely subjective to the mind of the person. Except the Bible. But even that becomes subject to your interpretation. I have an inward witness. I got a word from the Lord. I had a dream or I had a vision. I had a prophetic word that came from somebody else who thought it up. Maybe it was God, maybe it wasn't. So what is seen as illegitimate is the object, or listen to this, objectivity. And what's seen as legitimate is completely subjective to the person who's having the experience. So actually what we're saying is objectivity is bad, subjectivity is good. But we don't realize that's what we're saying. Let me just show you a couple things. Come with me to uh, Genesis. These are the kind of messages that get you in trouble. Uh, i got to do it here. Genesis. I'm just trying to challenge your thinking. Genesis 44. Joseph. How many think Joseph was a character to be emulated from the Bible? You know I'm setting you up. You all are just scared. <laughs> Genesis 44, verse 1. And he commanded the steward of his house, Joseph did, commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the man's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put in each man's, uh, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So they did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as morning had dawned, the men were sent away and they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet afar off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, "What? why have you repaid evil for good? Now watch this. Is not this the one or the cup from which my Lord drinks and from which indeed he practices divination. When the priests would go in to discern the mind of God, they would use two stones called the Urim and Thummim, which were stones. Some say it was like a yes and a no, but they would use an object to determine what was in the mind of God. And that was the ordained way for Israel to receive guidance. Come with me to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Oh man, I'm messing up your traditions. So yes, Aaron, but that, okay, so here's, <laughs> so here's, here's how this works, right? Y- yes, Aaron, but that was before the Holy Spirit was given, or that was before the, the New Testament. That was before Jesus came and changed human nature, or whatever, so they had to depend on external objects. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because if you look in the book of Acts, If you look in the book of Acts, 
chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from a mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Uh, no, sorry. Verse 15. Let's go down to verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased the field, etc. and so on. Verse 20 it says, still talking about him, Judas. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us into heaven, one must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed too, Joseph called uh, Barsavis, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry of the apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. They divined the mind of God by casting lots. Oh, I know this is making you uncomfortable. But think about it. We, we project evil onto objects and say the objects in and of themselves are inherently evil. Therefore, you have to, if you touch one, you're going to pick up a demon. I mean, surely Jesus' disciples are far enough along by now. After being with him for three and a half years, after him seeing him raised from the dead, and after him telling them about things concerning the kingdom, surely they're far enough along by now. They would know not to mess with that stuff like we do today. I mean, pretty elementary. So why am I doing this? Because I'm... I'm Because we will curse people that go to a card reader. I'm not saying you should go to a card reader. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we will curse people who go to a card reader and say they're of the devil, but we'll go look for some prophet someplace to tell us what to do. Not even realizing that there might be scriptural validity because every person is crowned with glory and honor. Every person has access to the mind of God. Some people may discover what's in the mind of God through means differently than you and I discover. And we'll, we'll say, well, they went and got a reading and said they just believed it. And now their life's off track. Well, how many people do you know went and got a prophecy at some charismatic meaning and believe it and their life's totally off track? Because I know quite a few. So what's the difference? Or how about playing Russian roulette with the Bible? Lord, I just don't know what to do. Judas went and hung himself. Oh, that can't be it. Lord, I don't know what to do. Go thou and do likewise. When the real issue, the real problem is not connecting with the prophet that's inside you to begin with. Not connecting with the one who knows the will and the mind of God in the first place. The truest prophet that you have is the Elijah within you. And what God is trying to do is to get Ahab to align. Now, the Bible condemns divination, right? Everybody knows this, right? And in fact, it does. In fact, it does. Leviticus 19.26. Leviticus 19.26 says, You shall not eat anything with the blood. So there goes all your rare meat, by the way. So if you're going to take this scripture, then all y'all that don't eat your steak, well done. 
I'm just saying. You're lumped right in there with divination. Because here's what he says. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. Well, see Aaron right there, you're told. But see, here's, here's what's messed us up. That word probably isn't the best translation. It's not a word, in fact, that has anything to do with trying to discover what is in the mind of God, which is what divination actually is. The Hebrew word there is the word nakash. Everybody just say with me, nakash. Oh, I saw that. I thought, well, that explains everything. So I saw that nakash. I was like, whoa, wow, what a, what a revelation. I'm going to tie this back to Jezebel in a minute. That, that solves it, right? If you're reading the first three chapters in Hebrew, the first three chapters of Genesis, first three chapters in the Bible, and it says, And the serpent was more cunning than any of the creatures that God had made. If you were reading it in the Hebrew, it would say, And the nakash was more cunning than any of the creatures that God has made. Because nakash is the term for the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And so what's being condemned there is practicing the nakash. Listening to the serpent who tries to pull you away from your relationship with God by trying to convince you that you are less than what you already are. Eve, you will not die, but in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. When the Bible said, in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And God made them in his image and his likeness. And he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so the nakash is that which tries to talk you out of your higher self. The nakash is the whispering voice of accusation and self-doubt that tries to keep you locked into the Ahab and therefore Jezebel, that which is without cohabitation, that which is without a prince, that which wanders off in total independence from the higher self and the voice of God, listens to the voice of the nakash and that's what the Bible condemns. And let me tell you something, you can get the voice of the nakash looking at cards or you can get the voice of the nakash from a dream or you can get the voice of the nakash from a vision or you can get the voice of a nakash from a preacher or a book or a radio personality anywhere that there is accusation anywhere that there is a bringing you out of the higher consciousness of the higher self into the realm of the lower self any voice of hopelessness and helplessness and despair any voice whispering voice of powerlessness is the practice of nakash and it is that which the Bible condemns it has nothing to do with whether or not you're using an instrument to discern what is in the mind of God. It has everything to do with luring you, alluring you away into independence by your desires to give birth to something that is illegitimate in the earth. And when you give birth to something that is illegitimate in the earth out of the realm of the Spirit, it creates chaos for you. It creates bondage for you. It creates problems for you. It creates depression for you. All that stuff. That's the, it creates death. It's the voice of the carnal mind. Paul said if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, it is death. But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, it is life and it is peace. So which one are you following? The voice of Eliyah or the voice of Jezebel? The voice of God or the voice of the serpent? And the serpent will always divide you from your own divinity. Adam, when he ate, he withdrew himself. He withdrew himself from where? And his eyes were opened. Watch it. He ate the tree and their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. The word naked means lacking. So when they listened to the voice of the Nakash, they knew they didn't, they didn't have resources. They were naked, they were lacking, they were less than, they were filled with shame. Before the voice of the Nakash, they were naked and there was no shame. 
And he heard the voice of the Lord God, Elohim Yahweh. He heard the voice of Eli Yah, walking in the garden in the spirit and in the light. Because the word cool there is the Hebrew word for spirit and the word day there is the brightest part of the day. And the early church fathers said the garden didn't represent a physical place on the earth. The garden represented the place in your own heart where you commune with God, where the lower self and the higher self align. So Adam hears the voice of God coming through his own higher self when he fell and split himself in half. And separated and vacated his heart, vacated the sacred part of his heart, and rejected the part of himself that was the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Rejected the Eli Yah seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Forsook it for the voice of the Nakash. And it brought forth death. And Paul says, if you want to walk this thing out, then you have to set your mind after the things of the Spirit and not after the things of the flesh. So here's the problem. Here's how. This, here, how do I do this? You've got to understand you're not separate from everything that God has. You're connected to it. You're not separate from God. You're connected to God. You don't pray to a God out there. You, 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 you divine the mind of God through the higher self of the things that God has already prepared for you and through consciousness, through focus and intention and language and action, you bring into manifestation those things that God has already decided to give you not that you're separate from but that you already contain inside yourself but you have to ascend above the accusing voices of the nakash that divines for you every day based on your failures and your shortcomings and your emotions by divine i'm not using the term that predicts the future let's say it this way The voice of the Nakash that predicts the future based on your limitations, based on how you know yourself to be, based on your emotions, based on your daily patterns of reaction to the world around you where information comes in and you just respond. The ego, the lower self, Ahab, listening to Jezebel and refusing to come into alignment with Eliyahu. So you have to break that identification. You have to stop being in the totality of your mind. The person who goes by your name and social security number and has all your experiences. Because you won't find the things of God in there. And you have to learn how to go deep within. Or you have to learn how to ascend above the consciousness of accusation. Take you back to last week and I'm done. The widow, remember the story? Her son dies. Elijah's staying with her, and her son dies. And she brings her son to Elijah, and she says, Man of God, have you come to remind me of my sins? And what does he do? says he takes the son from her and he goes into the upper room. Why? Because you cannot manifest the future in the presence of the remembrance of your sins or in the presence of the voice of accusation or in the presence of nakash. So he has to go above it. And when he goes above it, he brings life back into the child that represents the future. And he comes back down out of the upper room and he hands it back to the child. He, he, he doesn't answer the lady's question when she says, Oh man of God, have you come to remind me of my sins? Instead, he takes her problem into a realm where there is no remembrance of sin. And then he gives her her answer when he gives her back her future. 
and says there's nothing from your past that can taint. In other words, it's a complete reversal of thinking that my past is dictating my present. But rather, I find new meaning by finding there is something in my future. There is a day that I am yet to step into that is pulling on the present and shaping it the way it is now, rather than my past shaping it so that I'm stuck in the prison of my own mind and my own mistakes. And, and, and the church wants to keep you there. And the church wants to condemn you and tell you that you, 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 you reap what you sow because you messed up there. you got to reap destruction over here and they don't allow for the Eli Yah who sees the future in the mind of God before it arrives and understands what's giving shape and meaning and definition and structure to your present moment is not your mistakes it is not your sins it is not your shortcomings it is not what people have done to you but there is something in your future that God has prepared for you as a son and a daughter of God that is calling you there is something from the future that is beckoning you there is something from the future that is wooing you that is giving shape shape to your present reality and what you're experiencing right now is only setting you up for the glory that God wants to reveal to those who love Him. But if you stay trapped in the voice of the Nakash, in the voice of accusation, in the voice of condemnation, in the voice of defeat and inferiority, then you will keep through your own consciousness replicating the same things because you are the vehicle and the vessel through which thought is supposed to manifest. So if you're thinking about your mistakes, you're doomed to repeat them. If you're thinking about your past, you're doomed to repeat it in, 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 in new relationships, in new situations, in new jobs. But if, like Eli, Yah, you can ascend above those voices where it's only the voice of unconditional love and acceptance, infinite love, unbound by time and space. And you let that begin to define you. Then a whole new world begins to open up and you have a whole new interpretation on your present circumstances because you realize everything you're going through is merely setting you up for the glory that is about to be revealed in you when you connect your lower self with your higher self. And you manifest that which eye has not seen. And that which ear has not heard. And that which has not entered into your heart through the repetition of the daily patterns of the lower self. But has been revealed to you by the Spirit. So I can go and hear a prophet. And if there's something in there that resonates with the prophet inside me, then I can take it, but I'm taking my lead from my higher self, not from the person who spoke the word. If it doesn't resonate and give life, I'm free to reject it. I don't care how exalted that or anointed that person may be. And I'm going to tell you by the same token, I can sit down with somebody who uses a tool, who uses an object, and if I get some crazy thing, I'm free to walk away from it. Demons be damned. And if there's life in it, and if there's something that resonates with the reality of Christ in me, I'm free to take it. But I'm not taking my lead from cards or prophets or even dreams and visions. I'm taking my lead from the deep, intuitive connection that I have cultivated between my higher self, my Eli Yah, and my Ahab, the king that has the authority to manifest my future in the earth. So therefore, I can't blame anybody for giving me a false reading or giving me a false word, or I can't blame any vision or dream. I am fully responsible for my life. But here's the deal. In order to walk in that kind of confidence and strength and power, you have to eliminate all identification 
identification with the serpent who is telling you that you have to do something to become something that you already are. That you have to look at some external standard and internalize it in order to become. The reality of Jesus is that He externalized who He was. He did not take His cues from religious standards or religious voices. He externalized who He was, the Son of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Adam and Eve were supposed to externalize who they were, not take their cues from a religious system of good and evil that was represented by the tree that was outside themselves. And you and I are called, all of creation is waiting for the externalization, the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. God is waiting for you and me to externalize what He's put within us and rule the future. Not to lord over people, but to be their servants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you. Holy Spirit, we bless you. By faith right now, we connect with our own divine self. By faith, we connect with that higher self that is the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the spirit and light that is within our own being. Father, I pray today that you will remove the forces and the powers of Nakash from our lives. That you will remove the blinders and the veils of darkness that hide the true glory of who these people are as sons and daughters of God. And I ask for the fire of revelation to burn within our hearts and minds to expose us to ourselves as sons and daughters of God. Father, I pray today for there to be a shaking loose of our own lower self from the power of Jezebel and the power of the serpent and the blinding forces of accusation and depression and anxiety and defeat and human limitation. And allow there to come a shifting over your life right now. Allow there to come an aligning over your life right now of that which is the heavenly you and that which is the earthly you. Father, we invite the angels right now to come by their mighty power and presence to shift things in our lives, to shift our reality into the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And we speak forth the power of light and life and presence and healing and glory and signs and wonders and joy and life and peace that passes understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Father, let the chains fall from our minds. Let the chains fall from our hearts. Let the blinders be lifted. And by the spirit of wisdom and revelation, may the eyes of our heart be enlightened to who we are. And may you strengthen each one by your spirit in their inner person with the might and the power of your glory and your strength that your grace and peace and ease may abide with and upon each one. And that we may go forth declaring the word of our future in full confidence that as we have seen it and as we have declared it, so shall it be. In the name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the blessed and holy master of all this, the revealer, the holder of all truth. We pray. Amen. Just a quick reminder, you're welcome to kind of just stay in this and really let the energy of that take hold of you. Really let the energy of that take hold of you this morning.
Lord, you're so good, so good to us. Your presence is so good to us in this place. We bless you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy who you are. (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen.